0: if you'll take your Bibles and open those with me to the book of Acts chapter four, Acts four and verse 32. And again, if it's your first time joining us, we've been going through a series on the book of Acts, starting from the beginning and moving from there, uh, the origins of the church. Where did the church come from? How did it begin? And, And we've made our way up to this point. And as I was studying for today, in uh, reading, especially this text, we're going to start with in uh, Acts 4. Well, I, I tell you what, let's go ahead and read it and then we'll pray and, and then I'll share that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So in Acts 4 and verse 32, it says, Now the entire group of those who believe were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, The one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray over the word as we receive it today. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to us, though you had no requirement to do so. But we thank you that you did. And you didn't just reveal yourself, but you made yourself available to us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you this morning for your word, that it is breathed out by you. And it's good for, for teaching, for encouragement, for correction. God, God, it helps us in our lives. So as we open it today, I pray that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. And Holy Spirit, that you illuminate it for us as each one has need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we're reading this, this sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? And as we're reading about the early church, you just have this awe of how things were working and going during that time. And it reminded me of a quote, and I've shared it here before and I'll share it again, uh, by, by Charles Spurgeon talking about the church. As we're talking about its origins and reading this text, this quote came to mind where He said, If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. The moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. He was saying, I, I, I would have never joined a church if I waited till I found the perfect one because I couldn't find it. But if I had found it and then I joined it, it would no longer be perfect because I joined it. He said, but still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth. So I think as we begin today, it's important to remember there has never been yet a perfect church. Remember, I've, and you've heard me say this before, we're not the church of perfect people. We're the church of the perfect person. He was the one. We're not him. We're being made and hit remade in his image and likeness, being transformed, but we're not yet there. And we know this. We know this for sure. It can be hard to remember when you read passages like this. I mean, man, because it sounds awesome in verse 32 through 37, doesn't it? They were of one heart and mind. There was a generosity and compassion towards others. They're teaching the testimony of Jesus's resurrection with power and might and demonstration. There's community, there's commitment of resources. And then there's even a specific reference to Joseph also called Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who, who sold his property, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, what to be used as the church had need. Barnabas, he, he's going to be an interesting one for us to spend time with later on. The son of encouragement, he was basically like a puppy in human form. He was the one that you wanted to have greet you as you walked into the church. Man, it's good to see you all. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, man, I love you so much. He was just, the son of encouragement, what was his name. They changed his name because of how encouraging it was to be around Barnabas. And so as you're reading this, it's hard to remember that there's no perfect church, right? Because the first church of Jerusalem sounds pretty awesome. Well, they had it rocking. It was going real well. Especially, and I told you, Luke will fit into in his writing, he'll he'll plug in these summaries. We'll have specific instances, which is what we'll see in a minute. And then he plugs in these summaries. And in the summary, the church should always sound awesome. Right? The life of a believer in summary is going to sound awesome in summary. But when you get down into the day-to-day, you get down into the details, it can get a little gritty at times, right? Our life can be like that. The church can be like that when you get down on the ground. Because, again, the church has never been perfect, not even the early church. So we should appreciate what was going on then. We just shouldn't idolize it. And the story we're going to come up to next is going to remind us that it was not perfection going on at the first church of Jerusalem. Because in Acts 5, we finished chapter 4, in Acts 5, it's about to get a little gritty. It's about to get wild. And if you looked at this next passage as a standalone passage, it would be bananas. It is out there. So let's read it. So we finished talking about how everything's going. First Church of Jerusalem, in summary, hey, and Barnabas did this, and then in chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read 11 verses here, so hang on. And I'm reading out of the CSB. If you want to join me in your translation, if you've got the electronic and you switch back and forth, I'm in the Christian Standard Bible this morning. In chapter 5, and verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead And a great fear came on all who had heard. The young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. I told you he gets bananas. Verse 7, about three hours later his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who had heard these things. Don't ever tell me the Bible's boring. (laughs) Don't ever tell me that it's boring. I told you it gets a little bananas here. So let's start with verse one, chapter five and verse one. And and it's a great time to to mention we didn't always have the chapter and verse divisions on there. They're super helpful because I can say go to chapter five and verse one and you know exactly where I mean to go. But those were added in about fifteen hundred something or other. And so before that, it would all just flowed together and you can see that. At the end of chapter 4, it's talking about Joseph, also called Barnabas, son of encouragement, puppy guy. How he sold his field, brought the money it at the apostles' feet. What's the first word in chapter 5, verse 1? But. And so that's connecting these two events together. It's contrasting them. It's saying, read these together. It points out. And that something similar happens. It wants us to con- the text wants us to contrast the verses in chapter 5, 1-11 through 11, with what Barnabas did and what the church was doing at the end of chapter 4. And contrast, it does. There is a contrast there. Because again, Barnabas, it says, sold the field he owned, brought the money, laid at the apostles' feet. But... Ananias and Sapphira, though they did the same similar thing, they sold a piece of land, they conspired together, they acted together to hold back some of the money, but to put it forth as if they were given everything. See that? They sold their land, their land, and came and brought money and put it at the apostles' feet, said, We want to give everything to the church and the ministry and what's going on. But they intentionally held back part of it. While pretending they had given all of it. What were they what, why were they doing? And Peter even asked him, Why would you do this? What were you hoping to gain when you did this? Maybe they saw Barnabas do that. Might have been a, hey, yay, praise the Lord for Barnabas. We love him. He's awesome. He's like a puppy. And and he might have received, not his intention, I don't believe, but he might have received some social capital for that. God was glorified because of what he did. And instead of saying we can glorify God in the same way, it's I can take some of that glory for myself. I want the attention that came about through the gift. I want the attention that came about through the gift, but I don't really want the sacrifice that comes along with it. I want the reputation. It was stolen honor. You know, you hear about people that'll not have been in the military, but yet will dress up in. Uh, military clothing when they're out traveling so that they can get better seats on airplanes so that they can board more quickly. It's called stolen valor. They want to be a part of something that, 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 that has gained honor without doing the things that brings about that actual honor. Right? We've heard about that. That's terrible. And, and it's a dishonest and deceptive spirit. We had this, Kelly dealt with this yesterday with our youngest. She took him to the pumpkin patch. Before that, you got to go eat lunch. They go eat lunch. She gives, sits Luke down at the table. Luke, here's your chicken nuggets. Eat your chicken nuggets. And she looks back and one of the chicken nuggets is gone. You know, Luke doesn't just eat. to You know, it's it's an event sometimes. And she's like, good job, Luke. I'm proud. Keep going. Keep eating. You're going to need that energy, bud. So she's going along. Multiple kids there. So she's not fully paying attention to him. Looks back. Another chicken nugget gone. This is awesome. Great job, Luke. Man, keeps going. We're eating lunch. We're doing what we do. Look back. All the chicken nuggets are gone. Oh my gosh. You've never eaten this good in your whole life. I'm so proud of you. Yes. Get up to leave. Guess what's under the table? All the chicken nuggets are under the table. Why? He wanted that positive attention, or at least to not have begotten on to. I'm tired of her getting on to me. I'll throw this under his... Under here, she, th- she thinks I ate it. It's the same idea here. I want the attention. I want the positive affirmation. I want all the good feelings of having done this in, in service of the gospel going forth. But I don't want to actually eat the chicken nuggets. I don't actually want to sacrifice. I want to keep the money back for me. I want to serve God and money. What does Jesus say about that? doesn't work. doesn't work. It's a twisted heart. And it's going on right here in the first church of Jerusalem where everything was going so great. Everything was going awesome. Again, in summary, in summary, everything's going awesome. You get down in the day to day, you get down into the details. There's always going to be some grit there because there's always going to be people. And that, 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 that's called hypocrisy. We'll get into that more here in a minute. But Peter looks at Ananias and he says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And the language here is interesting because who has been filling the believers? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit filled the place. They, they were filled with the Spirit, except Peter looks at Ananias and says, you've been filled by Satan. He has filled your heart to lie to the Spirit. So you can contrast this with Barnabas or the other ones who were walking rightly with the, the, the brothers and sisters of the church. Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of spurning and turning back the, the liar, the enemy, Satan. And then Ananias and Sapphira, the opposite, filled with Satan in their heart. Leading them to lie to the Holy Spirit. You see the divergence there. Again, the early church was filled with the Spirit. And we, we see here that there is clearly still an opposer and still an enemy who is active and working, even trying to oppose what's going on in the church. And Peter says to Ananias, he said, you, you, You've done this, and why? He's like, it's, It was your land. You sold it, it was still yours. All the money. Was yours? There was no compulsion on you to give, and yet you willfully chose to be deceptive. And he asked him why, and he asked rightly, why have you done this? And I wonder if this is the first time that Ananias really considered it in his heart. Why did I do that? Why did I? I mean, this accusation from Peter that he lied to the Holy Spirit is a strong one. And I wonder if this is where he... Considered it for the first time. And Peter to reinforce the the severity of what has happened, he said, You haven't lied to people. He said, You haven't lied to us. You thought you were lying to us. You've lied to God. And it was at that moment in verse 5 when Ananias heard those words. He died where he stood. He fell down dead. And it says the young men who were in the room, the young men get the tougher jobs, just the way that it is. They pick him up, wrap him up, carry him out to bury him. And then in three hours later comes his wife not knowing what had happened it tells us. And Peter asked her was this the price that you sold the land for? And she answers yes that is the price. And we don't know and this is the kind of things we would look at just some of the text on, in Bible study. Did, did he put forth the amount they said they sold it for? The amount they said was everything? And she confirmed that. Lying again, or that he put forth the correct amount and say, Is this what you sold it for? And that'd be her confession. Yes, we were deceptive. Just interesting to think about. She says, Yes, that's the price. And verse 9 he says, Why? Again, why? It, it, it doesn't have to be like this, Ananias and Sapphira. It doesn't have to be like this. Why did you agree to this? He said, The feet of those that buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out too. And when she heard this, she fell. Dead, dropped dead at his feet. And they came in, found her, carried her out like her husband, buried her beside him. And again, this is going to be a really fun one to go through on Wednesday night. There's a whole lot in there. Don't miss that one. When's it going to be? Just keep coming. It'll hit at some point. We'll make it there. It's going to be good. And, And we'll go into a lot more depth there, especially when it comes to these Deaths And some of the imagery you see there But just so we deal with part of it today Because we have to address it because it's bananas And then uh, there's there's something that I want us to focus on past that When when we see these deaths there I believe it's a reminder to us that sin is serious There's a severity to sin And we should not ever presume God's grace on our willful sin Scripture talks about that, being presumptuous. We shouldn't presume on God's grace. We shouldn't despise it and treat it like it's nothing. And again, we're we're looking here at willful deception, willful sin and rebellion. And we know, what, what does Paul say the wages of sin are? Death. The wages of sin, all that sin can work is death and corruption. Thankfully, the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. But you see what happened here. And again, if you held it out on its own, it's just bananas. It's going to be hard to make sense of. But when you read the latter part of chapter 4 and everything in the book of Acts up to that point, it brings some helpful context because you see what's going on in the church and you see in what environment they, they, they introduced this. They are sowing falsehood and deception, which would bring about division. And it's going to compromise the integrity and the witness of the church that the church had in the community. This is who we are. This is what we do. And when they come in falsely and carry about the way that they did, it would compromise the witness of the church in the community, what was going on. And again, the early church, is it the perfect church? Chapter 5 says no. No, it is not. But still we look at when and we're able to appreciate what's going on. We just don't idolize it. Because it's made up of people. So I told you we are going to talk about hypocrisy. Even in the beginning of the church, there were hypocrites and hypocrisy. Even at the first. Like it's been around for just a little bit. I told you chapter 1 through chapter 4 takes place over about a year. So in about that long, somewhere in there, we've already got hypocrites and hypocrisy. And a great definition I found for hypocrisy as I was studying this is is a, a pretense of having a virtuous character, pretense like pretending, a pretense of having a virtuous character or moral religious beliefs or principles that we don't really possess. So it's pretending that we have something that we don't, pretending that we are something that we are not. Now... Before you freak out and think, if that's hypocrisy and Ananias and Sapphira die because of hypocrisy, I'm in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Because we can all identify areas of hypocrisy in our life. And we've talked about it before. We all have those gaps. Positionally in Christ, we are righteous because He is righteous. And in the rest of our life here on the earth, He is sanctifying us, transforming us by the power of the Spirit into the image of our Savior that we are beholding. And in that time, we're not going to be fully what we say that we are, right? Think about what I'm aiming for. Think about what you're aiming for. You know, I want to be one of God's men. I want to deal with people uprightly and honestly and justly. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. And anything I do for employment, I want to be good at that. I want to handle things rightly. And that's my aim. And that's a good aim. And there are many, many days that I fall short of that aim, right? My aim is to walk in patience with my children. There are many days that I fall short of that aim and that is a, a measure of hypocrisy because I've said this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do when I fall short of that, which we all do. We, we all have that in various measures. God help us and He is helping us. But again, as we look to Him, the Spirit's transforming us into the image of Christ. That's what it says in Scripture up until the point we get home. So that's what we all experience. Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of something more. They were guilty of something more. What we just talked about, I would, I would classify as passive hypocrisy. Right? It's happening. It's a part of my life as I'm walking, becoming, learning to be what it is that I've become. I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he's teaching me how to be that. Just like when my first child was born, I became a dad. I wasn't a very good one because I had just got here. This is my first day on the job. I am a dad. I'm learning how to be one, and that's what it is as a Christian. And so those gaps that we encounter in, in our life as a believer, I would call passive hypocrisy. And theirs would be an active hypocrisy. They were willfully and actively being manipulative and deceptive, trying to deceive. Again, one is striving to do right and falling short. The other only desires the appearance of righteousness for the purpose of receiving applause or glory or some other type of benefit. Stealing God's glory for my So you can see why it was so serious. Again, Barnabas came, gave, gave glory to God. Ananias and Sapphira see this, the celebration, the social capital, and say, hmm, let's do that, but not really. Let's hold the money back for ourselves. Let's keep the cash in hand. So you see how the the, the willfulness there to... To see. They put forth the appearance. They put forth the declaration. I'm all in for the glory. I'm all in with zero intention of being all in honestly or wholeheartedly. And again, they weren't just stealing money. Literally, it was their money. It was their money. What they were stealing was reputation. They were lying. So again, even in the early church, in the origins, we find hypocrisy creeping in. And, it, and it, it, even though, like I said, they're guilty of something else than what you see in your normal everyday life, it's hazardous for us to think, it, thank goodness I'm not like Ananias and Sapphira. Thank goodness I'm not like them. No, 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 no. When we read this, we're to take heed lest we fall into the same temptation. We're to take heed to what happened in their heart lest we forget and fall into temptation. Forget what? The truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is brought into our life. What's the truth? That That I was a sinner. Completely, utterly lost in my sin and without strength. My goal was to control my own life and glorify myself. That's what I wanted to do in my sin. That's what I want to do. And so if I'm glorifying myself, it's taking glory from somewhere else. So I steal the glory and the throne that he is supposed to sit on and I try to sit on it myself. But it wasn't like he fought me for it and I won. Scripture says in Romans chapter 1 that when we don't glorify him, he will turn us over to whatever it is that we are glorifying instead of him. And so if that's me, he will turn me over into my own self and my own devices. So it's not that I'm supposed to relive the shame and the pain of my sin, but I'm reminded in the preaching of the gospel how deceptive sin can be. When I hear the gospel, pre- even as I believe, I believe in Jesus, I'm on my way to heaven, I need to continue to hear the gospel preached because it reminds me how deceptive sin can be to my heart. That it can look like the better route. And not just how deceptive it can be, but how deadly it can be. Because the wages of sin is death. So when you're talking about hypocrisy, the the, the tendency can be like, okay, this is bad. I'm going to be on the lookout for any hypocrites. I'm going to find it in whoever else that I can. I'm going to become a hypocrite hunter. That's what I'm going to do, right? When what we should do is start in our own backyard. When we're hunting hypocrisy, I need to look in my own heart. I need to start right here. What did Jesus say? He said, why would you go to your brother who's got a speck in his eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of yours. He's like, you're going trying to clean up somebody else's small mess and you've got a hazardous wasteland behind you. So he teaches me even in that, that when I'm hunting those things, I need to hunt here first, primarily, and almost all the time needs to be right in here. Needs to be right in here to search my own heart, my goals, my desires. What am I seeking after? What are my motives in this? I think, I think it's right, but is it right? What are my motives? And then in, in communing with Him and His body to see those motives and desires and actions continually be purified and set to right to go, okay, nope, that's unrighteousness. This is righteousness. Walk in righteousness. So if I'm going to hunt it I need to hunt in my own backyard first. And when I find it, what do I do? Repent. Or repent and say, oh my gosh. It changed the way that I think. So repent means to go back to the right way of thinking and then turn from it back to him. See, if Ananias and Sapphira, when they saw this in their heart, Said when they see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, give this and see that to go, that stirs up some stuff in me that is not good and right and of the Lord. That I, I, I feel greed in my heart, selfishness. I'm wanting to exalt myself. I'm wanting what he had. Why? If they had investigated this any at all and said, I don't want to be like this. Help me, Lord. I don't want to be like this. Help me in this. Lead me in this. Instead, they said, that sounds like a good idea. Because that's the deceitfulness of sin. That seems like a good idea. The end seems good to me, so to get to the end on my own will justify the means that it takes me to get there. And that's where their heart was. But listen, fellowship with Jesus and His church, his body should result in lament and repentance when we find these things in our heart. Lament and repentance of sin. That's what Peter asked him the question. Why, Ananias? Why did you do that? You didn't have to do it. Peter's saying, he's like, why did you do this? And why didn't Ananias repent, think differently, turn from it, and walk uprightly? Why didn't he? Because there was no humility. There was no humility in him. We don't see it, right? He wanted to exalt himself. There was none. Who does Scripture say that God resists? Does it say He resists the evil? Does it say that He resists uh, the, the dirty, the, the, the poor? Does He say He resists those that have just messed up so bad you wouldn't believe it? It says He resists who? The proud. God resists the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Phananias and Sapphira had come and just laid that before the Lord and said, I'm, I'm, this is, this is pulling me this way. I don't want this. Help me. God gives grace to the humble, but there was pride there. And so there was resistance. So we should search our heart. Hypocrisy hunters, we go to our own heart first and we shouldn't be surprised if we find hypocrisy there. The church isn't perfect. The people that make up the church aren't perfect. Not yet. We'll get there. When we get home, we'll be there. But right now, we're not there. So we shouldn't be surprised when we find it, but we also shouldn't take it lightly. When you find hypocrisy in your own heart, don't be surprised, but don't play with it. Don't play with it. Especially if you start to find that willful hypocrisy. That, that, that desire to say, yes, I'm going to do this, when you have zero intention of doing it. We don't play with that. What do we do with it? What should they have done with it? Confess it to God and then get a brother or sister that they trusted, that they knew was ro- walking rightly and walking in the faith to say, look, I'm feeling this away and I don't want to feel this away Pray with me, help me, encourage me, remind me the truth of the gospel. Confess it to God and confess it to somebody in the body. Why? To drag it out into the light. We shouldn't be surprised that we find it. We also do not want to play with it. And again, this this willful hypocrisy that we find in Ananias and Sapphira, manipulative, deceptive. Even when who they were deceiving was who? Their own heart. That's what sin does the best. It deceives us first. We're deceived first. The point is drag it into the light. If you leave it in the darkness, it will bring about your death and destruction. You drag it into the light. Lord, help me put this to death before it kills me. Like That sounds really intense. It is. That's how the Bible talks about sin. Drag it into the light. Lord, help me put this to death. See, that's how hypocrisy backs itself into a corner. Hypocrisy tries to cover or compensate for weakness with false strength. Hypocrisy will compensate for that feeling of weakness. I feel weak. So I'm going to put up a false front that I'm strong. Well, guess what? Back here behind the wall, I'm only getting weaker because I'm not engaging in that which is supposed to bring me strength. So I've put up the false strength and yet I continue to get weaker and it keeps pushing me back and pushing me back till I can't put the wall up anymore and everything falls apart. That's how hypocrisy backs itself into a corner. It is doomed to blow up. It it tries to cover weakness with false strength. Life in Christ, faith in Him, I recognize that I am weak. I am humble enough to recognize that I am weak and I need strength. Instead of putting up that false front of strength, I go to the only place that can supply it. I go to Him. That's why it says His strength is made perfect when I am weak. Why? Because I'm fully relying on Him. His grace is sufficient for me. And then the humble receives grace. We talked about Christian boldness last week. What did it say in Hebrews? We can boldly come before the throne of grace. Boldly come in and go, I'm weak. I need you. I need your grace instead of sensing my weakness and putting up that false strength, that veil of, that mask of hypocrisy. That's what the word means. Hypocrisy is someone who would be an actor and they would wear a mask and they would say their lines from under a mask. That's why you start off with that word hypo. Hypodermic needle means it's a needle that goes under the skin. They would say their lines from behind or under a mask. It wasn't who they really were, but it was who they presented to be. That's how the word came about. That's where it came from. It was a theater term. And then Jesus has used it to teach us the truth about how our heart works if we aren't paying attention. Humility. So we come boldly before the throne of grace. We repent, we return to Him, and we are restored. Humility breaks the back of hypocrisy. That is how hypocrisy is destroyed, through my humility, to come forward and say, God, this is a broken part of me. Mend it. Mend it. I need you in this area. I'm struggling in this area. I'm having a hard time in this area. My desires are all twisted. They're still bent because of my sin. Straighten this for me. I need you. Humility breaks the back of hypocrisy in our life because it breaks that cycle of putting up the wall and backing up and putting up the wall and backing up with honesty and humility. This is a whole lot. Again, when we go through this, This is just Sunday morning when we actually go through so many elements to this. It's just a wild story. So you're going to remember it. It's a wild story. You should remember it. So in closing, I want you to give you some things that that you attach to this in your memory of this story. Because, again, it is wild. First one, we already said, don't expect the church to be perfect. It hasn't been. It hasn't ever been. It will be on the last day, but it's not yet There. Don't expect the church to be perfect as long as I'm here. Won't be because I promise you I'm not perfect. That's the first thing. Don't expect the church to be perfect. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira and come in and say, my primary focus is what I'm getting out of this. My primary attention is what I'm getting out of this. That's something you should pay attention to, sure, but it shouldn't be your primary attention because if you're focusing on what you're getting out, what you want to get out of your relationship, your walk with the church, you may miss out on what God is trying to fill a need in your life. He may be trying to satisfy and fulfill what you need and you're concerned about what you want and they may not line up if you haven't talked to Him about it. It's the idea of give to get. It's always bad. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to give or at least appear to give so that we can get. That's always bad. That's number two. You can number them if you want. The next one is don't be surprised by hypocrisy. Don't be surprised by it, but take it seriously. Don't be surprised by it. Don't play with it when you find it in your heart. Remember, we're hunting in our own backyard first. That's the next one. Hunt hypocrisy in your own heart first. That will keep you busy. I can promise you that. This next one, Ananias and Sapphira. If you play church, the enemy will play you. If you play church, the enemy will play you. This is not a recipe. This isn't where you come in and go, okay, well, the people at church, this is how they dress, this is how they talk. I'm going to dress like them and talk like them. This is what they do. I'm going to do that. It's not a recipe of actions that is going to produce in your life. It's the heart change and then the actions flow out of that. But if you come in and just like, I'm going to put on the clothes of a follower of Jesus, not just the clothes, but I'm going to clothe myself in what followers of Jesus do, but not become a follower of Jesus. The enemy is going to play you. If you play church, the enemy will play you. It's not a recipe, it's a new life. Because you can't put the things together to build it out yourself. If you play church, the enemy will play you. And then, and then lastly, and I said it a while ago, and if I had to sum it up in one line, this today for us to remember, is that humility breaks the back of hypocrisy. Humility will break the back of hypocrisy in my life, in your life, in our lives. Being honest with ourselves about where our weaknesses are, where they lie, how our heart will deceive us. Coming before him humbly to receive grace. Why? Because what's the opposite? Proud. I already know the Bible. I don't need to read the Bible. I already know the Bible. Right, Because how can you grow in something you already consider yourself to be full grown in? Humility says, I've always got more to learn. I've always got more that he can lead me into. God, I need you to teach me, to lead me and guide me. And Holy Spirit, I need you in my life. I don't outgrow my need for him. I grow more into a realization that I needed you more than I thought I did yesterday. I needed you more than I thought I did last year. My need is not decreasing as I grow and mature in Christ Jesus. My gosh, it's growing. Humility breaks the back of hypocrisy. Honesty and humility break the back of hypocrisy. I told you, it's a wild story. Don't ever tell me the Bible's boring because it's not. And he's given it to us to teach us, to train us up in the way that we should go to, to, to tell us what truth is. And so we see that today. Let's pray over it that a God will settle it in our hearts. And then I'll ask Andrew to come and we'll get ready to sing together as we close. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for walking us through it. Even through passages like this that we, we might normally skirt around or bypass because there can be difficult to comprehend, to understand. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth, that you convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Lord, that you would reveal to us the hypocrisy that we know we have in our heart. We know that we're not perfect yet before you. But Lord, that that spirit of humility would belong to us, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus that it would be in us he humbled himself that we would humble ourselves before you we would never think that we've fully obtained all that you have to give us to teach us in this new life with you but we would humbly return to your throne of grace over and over and over. And when we're weak, we won't put up the false veil of strength, but we will rely on your strength, knowing that ours would never be sufficient enough to last us, but yours will get us all the way home. I thank you for that promise. And we rest in that. We work from that in Jesus' name. Teach us to hunt that hypocrisy in our own heart to not be surprised when we find it but to take it serious and to break its back with humility before you in Jesus name as we get ready to go today I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another Lord that you protect your people keep us safe and as we go throughout this week we do so with you in mind acknowledging you Constantly being aware of you and in in communion with you as we make decisions, as we as we interact with others. I thank you, Lord, that you lead us and guide us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and that you have placed us in specific situations so that we can bring about what will be ultimately encouragement and good in the folks that you've put us around. And I thank you that we don't have to drum that up in ourselves but we find it in you. And Lord, if there be any wicked way in us that we would repent and turn from that back to the King of glory in whom we find no guile or deception and that we be filled again anew with your spirit and with Christian boldness so that we can stand, even though we know how weak we are on our own, we can stand boldly in Christ and testify of his resurrection. We thank you. We love you. And as we sing together, I pray that you be honored and lifted up by each and every voice in Jesus name. Amen.